Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hello, I'm your host Norm and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And on this episode, we're going to do some uh, games of late. We're going to look at what's trending, what's new, what's on the crowdfunding scene. And it's the Mechanics series. And this time we're going to do, well, kind of rolling right, but we're doing the Yahtzee Mechanism. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories, amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back. Let's check out some games of late. And uh, lately, in the gamers' garage that we have on our on our weekly uh, weekly game session, um, played Clank in Space, and more specifically, the expansion uh, expansions Cyber Station Eleven, and uh, I believe the uh, other expansion is called Apocalypse. So we played Clank in Space with the. Uh, like I said, with the Cyber Station 11 and uh, how Clank and Clank in Space works is I like to call it the Dine and Dash game because everybody is, it's a deck building game. You have your uh, standard deck of cards uh, and to just re- quickly review deck building, uh, uh, standard deck of cards, you draw five on your turn, you evaluate the hand that you have and you either buy from a market to re- you know add to your deck or you do actions on board according to your deck. And uh, in this case, we are uh, space explorers that are on a space station, and we're trying to, ultimately, we're trying to score the most victory points. But on the way to doing that, our objective is to go into the, you know, the main chamber or the, the treasure chamber, or you know, depending on what game you're playing, thematically speaking, you're trying to go to that lowest level to get the biggest treasure and get out of there before the big bad villain um, uh, crushes you, crash, crash. And uh, in this case, um, you were trying to uh, get onto the space station or we're on the space station and we're trying to get these maxo treasures on the command uh, deck and uh, get out of there on on little uh, escape pods and uh, collect our victory points. And um, this is one of those games where I absolutely love... Uh, again, don't take this the wrong way. I absolutely love it, even when I don't win, <laughs> because the 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 anxiety, the stress, the the stress, the the ratcheting, the the competitiveness is all so much fun. There's no mali- I don't I don't sense any maliciousness in this game at, at all. Like I mean, the there potentially could be take that in the idea that uh, um, you, you you just get places before others or you push the clock mostly you push the clock because if you uh, out of four the four players if you can get um, off the space station 
uh, um, before others, on your turn, you get to draw out of... Now, I didn't even talk about the, 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 the bag building of doom. Um, but Clank in general is, as you're trying to creep around and be sneaky, you make noise. And this noise attracts attention of the villain. And how that happens is when certain events are triggered and the villain goes to this bag that has all of your uh, noise cubes in there, they draw, depending on the, the, the track of the villain because it, it ascends and it ascends rather quickly and everything ratchets down and panic strikes fast um you start drawing cubes out of the bag and these cubes represent hit points on your health track and if your health track is full of those cubes you're dead <laughs> and the game can't and you can't count any victory points if you've not at least made it to the cargo area or in this case or in the case of the uh the clank dungeon diver out of the dungeon and onto onto the ground kind of thing and or sorry up uh, above the ground in the castle still and um so yeah this one was epic it was so epic uh to the point where um every, i went for the i went for the uh the most expensive because i the cards were just there i had the movement i got there um but uh everybody basically yeah, saw that I was going for the, I ordered the souffle and had to wait for a while. So they, they were gone. And uh, deck building, right? I didn't have enough movement built into my deck. Or it was just, wasn't coming into my hand fast enough or at the right moment. So, yeah. See, I, I'm, I'm reviewing this in my head going, yeah, I was like two moves away from getting to the cargo area to be able to count my points. And had I count, and of course... I'm going to count my points anyways just to see what would have happened. Yeah, I had 20 more points just in the cargo area. Not even the escape pod points, but I had 20 more points than the winner. So I think they were paying attention to me just, you know, gobbling up points. And I, the way I play, I just hang on to the steering wheel and go. I mean, there's <laughs> most of the time, there is no critical thought in my play. It's just joy. <laughs> So yeah, that's Clank in Space, Cyber Station 11. Um, it's, and it's not one of these expansions that's necessary to play the game. It's just you take it off of a spaceship and you go onto a space station. Kind of cool, right? Different configuration, different layout, uh, mo uh, different modules. Like the, It's a variable board, so that's the fantastic part. You get more, diff uh, uh, more uh, uh, modules and various um, abilities to do. And now the, throw in the apocalypse. Now... Uh, in this bag of doom uh, that are your hit points, it's already populated with, with black cubes. And, and black cubes, uh, before the apocalypse expansion came out, the black cubes were just set them aside and you're done with it. Um, in this case, you uh, prior to the game, you decide upon what level of events that you're going, you know, if you're easy, medium, or difficult. And in that card, that's where these black cubes will start We'll start pushing tracks, and these tracks are not happy, and they're not conducive to you uh, having a clean strategy. Uh, a lot of the times, they're devastating, and this time we randomly picked one that started taking options off of the market, and so on and so forth. And wow, did that make it kind of <laughs> slim pickings? Uh, so yeah, yeah, we played both expansions. Had a had an absolute fantastic time, um, and just to reiterate, expansions are not necessary. The base game is spectacular, right? Uh, so yeah, that's Clank in Space. Um, another game that we played was um, uh, let's see here. 
Anno 1800, designed by my favorite designer, Martin Wallace, and uh, published by Cosmos. And uh, I'm just going to do a quick, a quick uh, description read from, uh, from the publisher. In Anno 1800, a board game based on the popular PC game from Ubisoft, uh, you continuously build up your own industry to develop your home island. And I mean, era-wise, it's in the title, 1800. Okay, so yeah, yeah you bit like long ships, right? So uh, you have ship fleets allow for a lively trade and the development of new islands in the old and new world. That, uh, the first thing that we noticed was, oh, yeah, another colonization game. Okay, can we move on, please? I mean, that was our, it's, yeah, it's, it's an, it's a theme that's getting kind of beat up uh, that we don't need to revisit that history, <laughs> in my opinion. But put that aside. That was my, that was my uh, um, social criticism on, on, on the theme. Um, but as far as the game goes, uh, I've seen, I've heard uh, uh, in the community here, uh, mixed reviews. Not, not, I haven't heard people um, um, turning their nose up at it, but I have heard people saying, oh, it didn't click for me. And uh, I, I think this game clicked for me because uh, Dave brought it in. This wasn't out of my collection, but this was Gamer's Garage. And Dave and Jordan had played it a couple times. It's in their collection. They brought it. And uh, Jeff and I, new to the game, so we required a teach, which was wonderfully done by Dave and Jordan. And uh, it, it uh, as Jordan said... Well, you can think of this as Tech Tree, the game, because that's kind of it. You, uh, you develop resources, you develop industry on your player tableau, you develop um, uh, colonization sites, and uh, I think the, the most important thing on this game is you need the other players to trade with because you can't have everything, you can't develop everything because your tableau, it doesn't, that's, it's, that's the restrictive element in this is with uh, a lot of trading games is you need at least one person or you know two a minimum of people to have your engine work and uh that being said i had so much fun with this game um i can see the like i it'd be interesting to see if someone looks at the mechanical structure and architecture of this game and then put a different theme on it where uh i think I think it would it would fly. This, I mean, um, Martin Wallace, uh, inspired by the the Ubisoft game, uh, came up with a really clever interpretation of how, from an analog point of view, you can still have this structure work. And uh, yeah, I'd, I want to play it again. I want to play it a couple more times, um, just to see if it's. Now again, there's that hole for me. If it's either a um, scratched an itch in my brain or if I thought it was novel if I thought it was novel novel things for me wear off but an itch in my brain wow that sticks around and and uh and it's and it's a recurring <laughs> uh, uh, memory of uh yay so um as far as you know I, I've got a extensive Martin Wallace collection that I've had to send titles out because I, I they you know He's hit and miss for me, right? I mean, that's how it goes, right? Like hit Z Road. I'm not a big zombies fan, so I didn't didn't like did sorry, not that I didn't like the game. It just was didn't interest me at all. So I uh, played it, 
kind of went, yeah, kind of cool, and then moved on. So <laughs> the moral of the story is um, your favorite designer doesn't always produce things that, uh, that uh, make fireworks go off in your brain. So, but not to say that this doesn't have its potential. Uh, like I said, I want to play it again and check it out because uh, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff to explore there as far as, as far as the tech tree, the game, you know. I like to see your things grow organically. And uh, yeah, so that was Anno 1800, Martin Wallace. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Hey and welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get into uh, what's trending, what's new, and what's on the crowdfunding scene. Because we haven't done this in a while. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, itching to see what is trending via the BGG site. And uh, according to them... Uh, I, I've, you know, I picked, uh, the first one that I saw, uh, is Burn Cycle, uh, published in 2022, uh, designed by Josh Carlson and Shannon Wedge and published by Chip Theory Games. So right there, there, for me, there's a credential to pay attention to, um, Chip Theory, Too Many Bones, uh, is the one that pops up to head right away that everybody is, is still frothing about. So, uh, let me run through what it is because I, I don't know. I started reading it and went, whoa, this is very cool. So uh, let me share the coolness of what is Burn Cycle. Um, robots use creative action sequencing to infiltrate corrupt human corporations. The tagline got me right there. <laughs> Let's shake down that corporation tree. I love it when you give me some anarchy sometimes. So uh, it plays one to four players, 45 to 180 minutes. And uh, let's get into the description that's provided from the publisher because that's the best way for us to know something when we do our homework. So a puzzly infiltration game for one to four players, Burn Cycle, puts you in command of a team of robots in the far future. Their mission, taking down evil human-run corporations responsible for sub subjugating AI under their heel. Ooh, I'm smelling some Matrix kind of stuff here. Your team arrives at each corporate headquarters and must sneak inside, shutting down the company's physical operations as well as their digital networks. As you search rooms and advance to the higher floors, you'll be rewarded with new items and abilities, but you'll also be challenged by threatening guards, fatal viruses, and the architecture itself which was built to fight off robotic intruders. Key to this solo and cooperative experience is the idea of creative action sequencing. During each round of play, all players will contend with a randomly drawn set of programming directives, which tell them in what order their bots are allowed to take physical, digital, and command actions. Players can choose to skip over directives at the cost of having an incomplete turn or they can disobey the directions by paying costly action dice. 
The best players, however, find a way to work within the burn cycle, essentially organizing their actions so that they benefit the team while staying within the directive order. Each of the corporate headquarters in the game use unique neoprene layouts on a larger mat, changing the geography of the game to suit your target. Each CEO also has at their disposal a special threat meter which will trigger new obstacles for your robots as time runs out. If you don't complete the mission quickly, you may end up leaving the bots behind, the victim of the victims of immobilizing power drains or destructive counter hacking. Your team wins the game if you complete your objective on every floor without losing your captain or maxing out your threat level. That sounds awesome. Program movement game. I haven't played such a fun sounding program movement game since Mechs versus Minions. Now, uh, with that in mind, I'll quickly run. There's, I'll quickly run down through the uh, the mechanisms. So they have like action points, action cue, uh, the the idea of cooperation, dice rolling, dice icon resolution, uh, a variable mat, uh, a board setup. Um, wow, they uh, this this sounds like a pretty in depth experience that uh, has a lot of to me a lot of a longevity to it because there's i mean there's campaign possibilities built into it and i'm i'm just kind of uh as as the title says i'm just throwing out some conjecture here uh i'm just i'm just kind of exploring the the possible creative possibilities that this game can bring you through so yeah burn cycle i'm that is i that is super interesting i understand now why it's on the hotness because first of all like i said the publisher uh, solid reputation and um, yeah yeah programmed movement that's that those are unique games and if you have a, a solid program movement game it, it becomes a standard so I hope I hope to play this so let's jump into something that's new and uh, th there's two uh, moments where I saw the newness with this one uh, first of all putting together the uh, what you've been playing Wednesday uh, the some of the members of the Bridge City Board Gamers community were talking about this next game, and I saw it at Dragons Den uh, Games uh, in their in their obviously their new uh, stock, and it is Ten Penny Parks, uh, 2022, uh, designed by Nate Linhart, and uh, this is what attracted me. I'm, uh, I don't usually talk about the artist, but I love this artist, Vincent Dutre. I saw the art first, then walked up to the box and picked it up immediately because his art draws me in. Now, the publisher, Thunderworks Games, Thunderworks Games, solid company. Uh, they're still having some fun with cartographers. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed with what this uh, publishing company is doing lately and has been doing. So... Uh, I don't, so this is a new game. I don't know anything about it. So let's do some homework together. Uh, the tagline, build epic theme parks to attract visiting people and inspire thrill, awe, and joy. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in for that theme. That sounds fun. Um, okay. So according to the publisher, uh, I'll give you a quick description because it's just a short paragraph here. So a game of 10 penny parks is played over five rounds called months each month. Players take turns placing workers on the game board to take actions like removing trees, building concessions and attractions, and buying more property in order to make their growing theme parks as attractive to visiting people. VP tokens. 
Ah, look at that. As possible. At the end of each month, rewards are given to the player with the fairground that best exemplifies certain raw emotions and have five months. Uh, the, uh, a- and after five months, the player with the most VP tokens wins. It sounds pretty straightforward. Um, now, like I said, the art. Uh, just a quick look at the board and the player tableau. Uh, the art is, uh, it pops. It's very... Uh, carnival-esque in regards to its color choices the uh and, and i mean it i i I'm, i can't say anything bad about vincent dutre because i've i've not seen anything bad by vincent dutre so um i'm like i said i was immediately drawn in first by the art and uh it is compelling and it is throughout the game so for me uh not if i when i play this game uh, I will be just uh, um, immersed into uh, the the theme brought to brought to life by Vincent Dutre. Um, now, as far as the mechanisms go, uh, it, like it's got an income, set collection, tile placement, worker placement. To me, those are all check, check, check. Like all of those mechanisms, now it just comes down to me finding an opportunity to play this game. So, yay! Ten Penny Parks, published by Thunderworks Games. Art by Vincent Dutre and designed by Nate Linhart. All right, let's take a quick tour of the crowdfunding scene. And uh, this one jumped off the page to me because of the history teacher social studies perspective here. And uh, this is Through Ice and Snow, designed by Fernando uh, Eduardo Sanchez and published by Two Tomato Games. And the tagline is, take the helm, explore the treacherous Arctic in search of the Northwest Passage. Yeah, I'm all in right on the tagline. So uh, let's uh, let's do a quick bit of homework together and uh, see what this game's about through the description provided by the publisher. In the age of discovery, I'm in. The British Empire needs to find new trial, uh, new naval routes to Asia and thus launches many expeditions to the Arctic in order to find the Northwest Passage. In Through Ice and Snow, you and your friends journey through the Arctic and, and uh, vie to become the most prestigious explorer by documenting species, mapping treacherous lands, and discovering the elusive Northwest Passage. As the expedition progresses, new map pieces and routes will be revealed and added to the modular board. Each player is in charge of their own ship, and the crew includes three officers with individual abilities. You have the carpenter, a craftsman that provides improvements in structure, the scientist, a scholar that provides invention and research, and the captain, an officer that provides leadership and organization. You can also recruit Inuit, exceptional guides who are experts in finding fuel, improving sleds, and leading vital hunting parties. Each voyage brings unique challenges and events for your crews to face. Those Arctic journeys faced many tragedies since finding food was extremely hard. The overworked crews were prone to mutiny and the weather was merciless. Succeed and become immortalized. Fail and be lost in the ice forever. Now, I'm from Saskatchewan, Canada. I know how the weather can be merciless, so... Yeah, you got me on that line for sure. <laughs> so let's take a quick look at the mechanisms that they use to make this machine work. Uh, advantage tokens, end game bonuses, events, grid movement, map addition, uh, tile placement, 
that right there, uh, I am so intrigued. Now, uh, I absolutely adore Expedition to the Northwest Passage by Matago Games, and uh, it is one of my favorite race games tile. It has all of these cool things put together, and they do a wonderful job um, at adapting and incorporating respectfully the theme. Now, like I had mentioned before, being a uh, history teacher and social studies teacher uh, in Canada, I want to make sure that uh, the same level of, of respect and uh, attention to uh, cultural um, um, perspectives is respected and, uh, and, and that proper homework was done in developing this game. So yes, the proof will be, as they say, the proof will be in the pudding. Uh, so yeah, I can't wait to see this game uh, in a physical form rather than a theoretical page here. So there you go. That was our little trip to the crowdfunding scene uh, through ice and snow. Hi. If you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Cardboard Conjecture on YouTube. Thanks, eh? And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get into today's topic. And it is the Mechanics series. And we're going to talk about the Yahtzee mechanism. And uh, kind of also tied in with the whole roll and write. But I think um, when you mention roll and write, everybody just thinks of uh, the Yahtzee mechanism driving this roll and write kind of game. So, and, I, and I'm going to, you know, talk about Yahtzee because that's what I grew up on, right? I think everybody did. So, uh, first of all, let's give a quick background. Uh, I did some homework. Big fan, of, big fan of homework. And uh, uh, Yahtzee, basically in the 50s, there was a, uh, there was a couple that uh, on their yacht uh, wanted to entertain people and, uh, but, but didn't want cards and want, you know, it's a yacht. There's not big tables, right? So uh, they had limited space. And so they came up with this idea of using dice to uh, evaluate poker hands. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely they, they kind of find and hone uh, uh, honed this idea uh, of a two-stage kind of scoring tableau and uh, thus the game Yahtzee was developed and I believe it was in the 70s that this couple sold it to Milton Bradley and uh, after that I mean it's been on the shelves and so many iterations of uh, you know thematic uh, overlays on Yahtzee uh, as, as the Yahtzee game itself right like how Love Letter has all these different iterations. Um, Yahtzee itself has this, you know, that same kind of structure or evergreen structure. Um, so what is, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about the Yahtzee mechanism, let me, uh, let me explain it to you. So typically, uh, you'll have five dice and uh, you roll the dice three times and then what's remaining you evaluate. Now, in those rolls, in the Yahtzee at least, and other games will manipulate this, these uh, interior rules, but after each roll, you're able to lock 
certain dice out and then roll what's remaining. Uh, sometimes uh, you're able to pick up the dice that you have locked and re-roll them. Uh, but the rule is after that third roll, everything is locked. Everything has to be used and evaluated. Now, uh, with Yahtzee, as I said, their evaluation structure is poker hands. And uh, um, that is related to the information on the pips, right? So that is basically how the Yahtzee mechanism works. You have five dice, you roll them, you choose to set dice aside, you choose to re-roll certain dice, and then after the third time, you evaluate. And it is through this evaluation that people have applied a lot of creative solutions. So um, usually in the mechanics series, a lot more time is taken to uh, go through the, the, the architecture of the mechanism. And in this case, uh, there's, there's not much. It's a three-step recipe, basically, and uh, very familiar to everybody. So what we usually do in the mechanic series is, like I said, we, we uh, identify and walk through the steps of the mechanical structure, and then we talk about examples. So let's get straight into some examples of games that use uh, effectively and creatively this Yahtzee mechanism. And also what we'll do is, is uh, af after we identify the, the kind of side-by-side -side related kind of mechanical structures, we'll, we'll see what was inspired by because there's a lot of flip and rights that have come out and would have not come out had it not been for the roll and write. So here we go. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape Rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Now, before we continue, uh, I must state that I'm going to pick games that I'm familiar with and uh, games that I like that, uh, that I see direct connections. I might not get to them all, so please don't be upset if I'm missing uh, one of your favorite games. Um, I, I, I wish I had the time to play them all. <laughs> so um, uh, let's get into it. The first game that my kids, I play with my kids still, and I, I love this game, and I bring it to school and have students uh, gobble this one up, and that's Quicks. And uh, Quicks, yeah, it, that is basically the mechanical drive to this, and they, what they do in this case is they add colors to the dice. Now, uh, in Quicks, you have uh, uh, a little bit more than five dice. You have four colored dice and two uh, um, uh, standard uh, white dice. Now, they all are die six, which means, you know, one pip to six pips. And uh, how Quicks works is you have on your little player sheet, um, you have a red scale, a yellow, green, and blue scale that go left to right. Um, and, uh, and this is so cool on this game um, that uh, the red and the yellow start from 2 and go to 12. Now, the green and the blue on the same sort of column, they flip that around. They start 12 and go down at 2. 
and how it works, on, and it's a roll and write, so how it works on your turn, you roll all of the dice, all four colors and, all the, two, uh, and the two white colors. Um, what I really like about this game is that on, when it's not your turn, turn, <laughs> Um, you still are able to do something on other people's turns because um, what you do is, like I said, you roll the dice, you evaluate the two white dice first. And what you do is you add the two values of the dice. So let's say you roll a three and a one, that value is a four. That four value is able to be used by anybody at the table for any color, okay? That has to be evaluated first. Now, whoever's roll it is, um, you can choose not to take that, but you must, on your turn, choose one of the white dice and one of the colored dice, add them together, and evaluate it on your sheet. Now, the evaluation works that you are only able to put X's or mark off the evaluation of the die from left to right. Once you put an X, like let's say on the red column, which goes from left to right, starts at 2 and goes to 12, let's say you put an X on the 4, but the three is empty. You cannot go left of your last check mark to fill out another check mark. So there's this push your luck. There's this desire to try to check off every one of them, but you can't. Okay. Um, there's also now there's two ways to finish the game. Uh, one way to finish the game is if you roll, uh, if you check off a twelve, you're able to lock out a dice and take it out of the dice pool. Um, therefore eliminating opportunities for the other players. That ratcheting down is awesome. When the second dice is out of the game, the game ends. That's one way to end it. And then you evaluate your scores, and there's a grid on the bottom to uh, let you know how many X's equals how many points. You add up those points. The second way is you have two, you have four, I call them garbage bins. You have four negative penalty check marks if you can't evaluate one of your dice or if you choose not to evaluate one of your dices and the, the choose not to could be that um, there's way too much of a gap between the leftmost x and the x that you're going to put down right so you might take the minus five penalty um, and once the game ends you have you know count up your your points and uh and the highest point value wins this is such a fun game um, now there's an expert side where you flip it over and the color pattern is all over the place and it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting and my brain explodes. <laughs> there's a reason why this is one of the uh, Mensa winner games because your brain, this simple mechanism makes your brain fire off big time. Uh, now the only thing I would say is uh, the only kind of uh, 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 asterisk would be don't play this more than four players. It says it plays more than four players. But nah, it's there's just way too much done. Even if you have the opportunity to use the white dice, there's just way too much downtime. Um, and uh, so yeah, uh, quicks, awesome. Uh, a game I played a couple times. Ryan had this game, and I liked it. Um, I but again, there's just too many games to play. And this one's Octo Dice, and that's based off of the Stefan Feld Euro game called Aquasphere. And uh, Aquasphere is a program movement game. And in this case. Like like a good Yahtzee kind of mechanism, you you roll the dice and you set aside a, a you know particular dice or you lock them out and you evaluate the dice and you on your little player sheet. And now uh, uh, to preface all of these uh, games coming up, every on a roll and write, everybody will have their own sheet to check things off, right? I mean, I forgot to say that, but again, I can't I can't. Uh, uh, 
think that everybody knows what I'm thinking, right? Right now I'm thinking more coffee. Um, so yeah, Octodice was super fun, and, and it was it it tied into I played Aquasphere, and it tied into Aquasphere quite well. So yeah, um, let's see one of oh one of my favorite roll and write games, and I will uh, go to this game anytime. And uh, but I'll go to this game anytime using uh, from BGG. Okay, first of all, let me tell you the title of the game is Roll Through the Ages. Um, and this one was de- designed by Matt Laycock. And um, Roll Through the Ages is pretty much Yahtzee, and you take the pips away and you put uh, ancient civilization themed content on these dice from producing wheat to having a population to having negative events happen, coins. And uh, so, yeah, what you do is you're building a civilization. Now, the standard sheet is, is great. But if you really like this game, I would suggest you go to BGG and on their files tab, uh, a third party, a brilliant third party uh, product was uh, um, graciously put there. And it is a super advanced, hyper uh, uh, Red Bull (laughs) tableau that uh, takes the concept and just bumps it to the an enormous threshold. And uh, so, yeah, roll through the ages. Basically, I just about wore the ink off of the wooden dice. Oh, yeah, and his wooden dice. So cool. So, uh, yeah. Um, another one that I've played and uh, that I enjoy is by a set of designers that uh, I absolutely adore. And it's Inca and Marcus brand. And this one's St. Mallow or St. Mallow. And uh, if, you've not, if you're not familiar with it, a lot of uh, exploration uh, to the New World was based out of this port in France. And uh, so what you're doing is, yeah, you're building your port city. You're trying, to, uh, you're trying to expand, develop, and also fortify because during that time there was uh, uh, marine threats that would come into port cities and and cause havoc and in this case once again it comes down to victory points and yeah you roll the dice sets them aside roll it again the you know the yahtzee mechanism and then you evaluate and uh, it is in this creative evaluative process that um, they're able to create this cool city building game so yeah that is saint malo now another and more recent title is uh as uh Gone Sean Clever, or That's Pretty Clever. And uh, this game, um, yeah, it is, <laughs> it is, uh, I'll talk about this game and then I'll kind of lean into uh, uh, the, uh, what happens to this game when you put a theme on it. But this game, yes, follows the same rules as Yahtzee where you, you roll your dice a certain amount of times and you lock certain things away. Um, and in this case, they use the color coding mechanism because on your player board you will have a um, yellow zone blue zone green zone orange zone and a purple zone and then there'll be a white dice that again becomes a uh, omni dice let's just call it and uh, in this case yeah you evaluate the dice that you've selected there will be dice in this community uh, uh, platter that others when it's not your turn torn again I said torn when it's not your turn um, uh, the, uh, the other players at the table will be able to do something when it's not their turn. Um, and, uh, this is, 
uh, a cascading type of game because as you're filling in check marks on these tracks of these different colored dice and not necessarily just tracks but grid patterns as well because within the grid patterns there's this matrix of diagonal uh, vertical and horizontal um, completions that will trigger other things right so yeah that's like take a math brain and, and let them have some time with the roll and write and this is what you get um, now I talked about cascading there's certain times where if you either complete a row or complete a segment where you'll trigger a bonus and sometimes these bonuses allow you to add more X's which potentially could cascade you into more checking off of your player tableau and uh, the the outcome of that cascade is that as a player you feel so brilliant <laughs> so um, and I mean that like from the title says you feel pretty clever that you're able to with one dice make seven things happen right now let's take this uh, idea and move it into a themed area and uh, we talk about fleet that I talk a lot about fleet the dice game now fleet the dice game will vary a little bit I'm kind of going off topic here because I was going to talk about variations of this afterwards but this is a great segue um, how fleet the dice game works is you roll a set of dice and you as a player around the active player in in you know your typical clockwise turn order you take a dice out of the market and the last remaining dice everybody gets to use that uh, that uh, I guess adaptation allows everybody on every turn to be able to participate which is very cool and this cascading system that I described and that's pretty clever is basically the heartbeat of fleet the dice game and if I'm talking about fleet the dice game I have to talk about three sisters because then the uh, Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback the designers took this DNA and went okay let's let's let this mature and grow and and organic uh, there we go segue organically turn into a gardening game and so if you like that idea I would explore those other two games uh, fleet the dice game and uh, three sisters so uh, let's go check out some more we uh, again I have uh, I've played this once I think Ryan or, or maybe Ian might have showed me this game but it's raw the dice game where it's that similar like Yahtzee uh, roll a set of dice uh, three times make the best combinations and choices and try to uh, populate your tableau with cubes and and again there's there's uh, um, adaptations in regards to using uh, color to determine different categories of, uh, of approach um, and um, I can't really talk too much about raw the dice game because I don't recall too much but I do recall that it it successfully used this Yahtzee dice mechanism um, now uh, let's kind of this one I've not played I've seen it played a ton and, uh, and one of those things where it's like, oh, you guys started. I wanted to, you know, get in on this game. And then you wait and it's like, hey, you guys are taking too long. I want to go play another game. That happened to me so much with Dice Town. And uh, Dice Town is a, take this whole idea with uh, using, again, back to this, this Yahtzee thing where it's a poker hand. Well, yeah, the dice are your poker hands. And it's basically a Western town. And you use the 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 dice and the poker hand that you create to go into different areas of dice town 
and use and evaluate these dice now. The cool part is that in Dicetown, there's also um, a uh, uh, application of cards that kind of blends into how you're uh, using the um, this dice mechanism. Now, like I said, I've not played this, so I don't know the intricacies of the game, but I just know that it looked very cool how, I, once again, this Yahtzee mechanism that I was very familiar with um, kind of takes it into a different creative direction. So, yeah, Dice Town. Now, you can't talk about the Yahtzee mechanism, not talk about King of Tokyo. <laughs> Uh, I believe a Garfield design game and uh, a yellow, I think, is the the fortunate uh, uh, publisher to have this as their evergreen title. And in this game, every, <laughs> everybody plays a monster and it is basically last monster standing. And uh, and the idea king of Tokyo is uh, you uh, uh, it's basically one versus many, but you take turns deciding who's going to go into Tokyo because once you go into Tokyo, you're able to cause havoc and conflict with everybody else at the table, but also they are able to gang up on you. Now, there are benefits to being the king of Tokyo um, in regards to... Uh, um, it, it's kind of a race, right, to, to a certain amount of points or a threshold. And uh, if you can stand in Tokyo long enough, you will get there faster. But you, at the cost of everyone just chipping away at you. Now, it's just not the dice where the dice represent health, they represent actions, represent your ability to purchase things um, and, and, and evaluate uh, special actions. But... Um, it, uh, it has a card structure where you're able to buff up, asymmetrically buff up your, your monster. And uh, so, so successful that they also came out with King of New York. And um, so, yeah, this, I mean, I've, I've not played this a lot, but when I have played this, um, and, and again, I've lost epically in this game, but it's one of those games where... It, it's a fun generator. You, you simply just have a lot of fun playing this game, right? So, yeah, well done. Uh, and, a, and a great use of this Yahtzee mechanism where you roll three times each stage. You're locking stuff out because a lot of the times you're just hunting for health. <laughs> I don't care. I just need to get health. I just need to get health. And sometimes the dice are evil. Now, a quick mention goes to uh, Zombie Dice and Martian Dice and 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 that uh that uh, brand of of games where uh it's this one though it's a push your luck kind of thing where you're doing the yachts mechanism you're rolling three times you're locking dice away but in this case you're trying to accumulate um a certain amount of value before the negative value triggers the end of your turn so that's where this push your luck comes in and uh, you're trying to accumulate brains, brains, and, 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 and you don't want to get blasted. So um, if you get blasted before you stop, you lose all of those accumulated points. And, and I'm kind of using the generics because zombie dice and Martian dice, completely different icons. But the architecture of its game is the same, where you're trying to accumulate good things before the bad thing meter, everything blows up and you don't get to keep anything. Right, so it's that push your luck of when do you stop? When do you stop? How many dice do you have left? What are the odds of of rolling a negative uh, uh, um, outcome rather than a positive outcome? 
So yeah, those, those are two fun games. Those are fast games too, right? I mean, um, a lot of people uh, um, dislike the term filler games, but um, not to say that this is a filler game. This is a fun, fast game. There you go. So yeah, Zombie Dice and uh, Martian Dice. Now, I've not played this next one, but I would certainly not turn down an opportunity to play it because it looks like absolute chaos. And that is Escape, The Curse of the Temple. Um, it is dice rolling with a soundtrack and a sand timer and real time. And you're, it, it just looks like absolute chaos. And the fact that this game employs uh, a dungeon tile placement, it employs... Uh, events that might happen and funny events because I've seen people play where they're only able to use one hand or, or you know physical limitations applied to uh, actively trying to accomplish their objectives of escaping the temple and uh, yeah I've every time I've watched this game played I have just seen a crazy amount of frenetic energy and laughing and giggling and joy so how can you how can you turn that down right so there you go uh they effectively use this yahtzee mechanism and apply it in such a creative manner that um it just erupts in absolute uh chaos so yeah escape curse of the temple now this next one is again another one of those titles that uh i've not played but i've seen played a lot and have dialed it in and not that I was reluctant to play it, um, it's just simply because I never thought that I was interested in the this uh, uh, IP area. And uh, it is uh, Elder Sign. And uh, they, that's that whole Arkham Horror Cthulhu thing. And uh, I thought I wasn't into the Cthulhu thing until I finally played my copy of Arkham Horror uh, LCG and went... Oh, well, this is Indiana Jones, the horror show. Okay, I can dial into this now. So Elder Signs takes that Yahtzee concept dice rolling mechanism where you have a tableau of cards that uh, um, designate places to go to and, and events that happen and, and uh, villains to fight. And it is that same structure where each card will have a recipe of what you need to roll and fulfill in order to accomplish or take this uh, uh, card or um, item or event off the board. Um, yeah, it looked interesting to me enough so that uh, it's always been in my in my frontal lobe as far as uh, as curiosity goes. So if you are into that uh, IP or that genre um, and have not played it, then I would probably recommend if you're looking for a Yahtzee kind of uh, um, mechanically driven game I would totally send you in this direction absolutely now a couple more before we wrap this up uh, once again have not played this one but ah oh, man I think I'm gonna go pick it up after after uh, this this episode is done and that is super skill pinball 4k in a pinball uh, in a box it's like it's an arcade it's basically Jeff Engelstein came up with uh, this roll and write uh, cleverly designed um, tableau that represents an old school pinball machine and the pinball is a glass uh, bead one of those kind of flat dropped uh, teardrop glass beads and uh, you roll the dice and evaluate it and try to keep this glass bead from draining um, uh, or, or tilting and uh, everybody who I know has played this 
has has had that big smile on their face and go, yeah, it's it's it works. It's it's a pinball machine. And uh, so to creatively take that idea of rolling dice, locking it away or that simple roll the dice and evaluate into a, a nostalgic element and to be able to, oh, man, mechanically or just have it work on paper um, because be, that is the most um, like if you've not played a pinball machine or been in a pinball arcade, the noise, the lighting, the everything is just overstimulating. And for a dice marker and a cardboard piece of paper in front of you to, you know, re-engage that. Wow. Well done. Well done indeed. Now, as I said uh, before, uh, uh, kind of segue out. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the evolution of this roll and write and to the idea of uh, games that are coming out that are flipping rights, where it's a, instead of uh, dice, it's a deck of cards. And uh, the, the, the prominent one for me is Welcome To. And they're already on uh, Welcome to Mars, or Welcome to the Moon, I believe. So Welcome To is a neighborhood. You're just developing, you're trying to design your own suburban sub- subdivision and um, putting houses in order building pools i mean it's your player tableau whole bunch of different tracks thematically adapted to this idea of developing a neighborhood and uh you're not in in the case of uh, playing with other players you have um three choices of cards in relation to the activity of the number so there's a number and then there's an activity like let's say it's making parks or let's say it's building pools right um, then on your tableau you will have uh, neighborhood streets from uh, that move left to right and go top to bottom and uh, you have to put these things uh, these whatever however you evaluate it but the numbers have to proceed in chronological order much like quicks um, and uh yeah, this one, oh, this one is so much fun. Um, the uh, if you like the idea of city building, it takes that roll and write or flip and write and turns it into a um, a, 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 a city building game or a neighborhood building game. And uh, if that appeals to you, absolutely. And it's not an expensive game at all. And uh, the best part about this game is the, that it says it plays from one to one hundred players because. Uh, everybody has access to the choices that are available every time the cards are flipped. So it's just the way that you choose to uh, use this information. So yeah, there you go. Uh, there is the fi- and again, like I said, there are probably are so many other ones that I didn't talk about that are your faves, and I apologize for uh, sorry um, for not mentioning it. But um, yeah, this would be a long podcast if I mentioned them all. And uh, I'm running out of I'm running out of steam. <laughs> um, so that being said, thank you so much for listening. I uh, totally appreciate you taking the time to, um, you know, sit in and and uh, participate in what I have to talk about with uh, board games. And uh, as always, I'm your host Norm, and we'll catch you later. <laughs>
If you wish to contact the podcast, you can email norm at cardboardconjecture.com. Thanks, eh?